Welcome to LBB's Open House, our podcast on how to build brands better. I'm Suchita. On the Open House podcast, I have candid conversations with founders, CXOs, and investors behind India's most compelling enterprises. As a co-founder of LBB, I love deep diving into all things marketing and distribution for brands across different industries, and of course, learning from my guests. Today, I'm in conversation with Deepak Sinha. Before I tell you more about Deepak, I want to let you know that if you're listening to this, be sure to check in on LBB to participate in the live webinars where we record these episodes. That way, you can ask my guests questions in real time and of course say hello to me as well. Go to the LBB app or hit us up on our web at lbb.in and search for Open House. We hope to see you there. So, back to my guest. Deepak is the global VP of marketing at India's home-brewed beer brand Beera 91. With over 14 years of experience at beverage companies such as Pernorica and Miller Coors, he has led brand development, marketing and sales and helped position emerging and established brands for success across markets. In this conversation, we dig into what it takes to launch a brand internationally, how Beera has been able to scale across different consumer segments, through its ever evolving catalog and of course trends to make a note of if you're in the alcobev space spoiler alert women drink beer and are nodding to reckon with more on this in our episode hope you enjoy our conversation let's jump in uh we have uh, deepak with us uh, deepak is the global vp of marketing at vera uh just a little bit about him he has over 14 years of work experience uh specifically in alcobev he spent most of his working life in the us deepak correct me if i'm wrong where uh, he's uh, led everything from growth brand marketing and more for huge brands like pernorica um, miller coors uh, and he joined beera 91 as the vp marketing for launching beera in the us um i would actually i'm, I'm actually going to dig into that a little bit um, it would be great to get a sense of you know how what when why that you know whole situation ended up happening uh, and since 2019 he's been leading the marketing efforts for beera um uh globally uh, all across the world thank you so much um we've had a chance to chat briefly before and i think uh, you know obviously what what makes alcohol such a fascinating industry for me as a consumer uh, and also as someone building a brand uh, is that you are you have every single restriction out through the door right especially right. media so mainstream media is in an option you know you're always coming up with some surrogate or the other to you know push your brand out um uh, and i think in that challenge lies the fun right um and whether right. you look at vera or you look at international brands whether it's you know aviation jane or pernorica and so many other brands uh, i i think they've just created the most fascinating campaigns So before we get into that, I thought what would be really cool to do is if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, uh, talk about your journey so far, and also how's life at Vera these days. Sure, sure. I, I guess I could start by saying I, I never imagined uh, maybe 15 years ago, post graduation. Um, actually, that was a long, long ago ago. Uh, but you know, after I finished my studies, uh, that I would end up working in Alcbev, uh, and I guess more importantly, being on the other side of the planet. uh working for a beer company in India and uh if i actually stuck to my first career that i um uh started in i would probably be retiring right now as a police officer in the new york police department uh so i actually went to school for criminal justice wow yeah i, I took a couple of pivots in life so i went to school for criminal justice uh at john jay which is in new york city and 
around 2002, I left the police academy and uh, pursued finance. And then just, you know, fast forward, ended up in the alcohol industry. So it was by sheer accident. I had a friend at the time who uh, really advocated for the alcohol industry, or as I call it, the booze business, Mm -hmm. and uh, really pushed me over like two or three years to join him. And at the time, I couldn't really, I guess, understand uh, how you can have fun and also uh, turn that fun into a career. And, and sure enough, I finally gave it a shot. Uh, started with an agency. Uh, it was around 2005. It was an experience, uh, experiential agency, so events and promotions for Miller Lite. And, uh, and fast forward 15 years later, I'm here. So I've held almost every position you can imagine within the industry, from agencies to uh, distributors, to beer companies, uh, to spirit companies. And then right before I joined Bira, I spent about three years working on smaller brands as well. So I helped launch a couple of different spirits for some private clients. I was consulting and uh, I helped launch a tequila, a whiskey, uh, specifically a bourbon, a rye, and then also a different uh, retail concept for a couple of investors. So I have some retail experience as well. Uh, So I joined Bira about 2017. Uh, So I've been with the company about three years now. And uh, as you mentioned, I helped launch the U.S. market. And uh, at that time, the U.S. was the first market that Bira 91 expanded into outside of India. We're in about 10 countries now. And the vision uh, for the brand is to be the beer of choice for this generation of Indian consumers worldwide. So that's why the U.S. actually made a lot of sense for us to be in, because there are a lot of Indians in the U.S. And uh, uh, we've done fairly well in the markets that we're in. So we'll get into those details. But um, I've been now living in India for about a year, even though I'm in Singapore at the moment. Mm-hmm. My wife's here, and uh, I actually fled before the borders were closed so I could be with my wife. Um, but it's been a great experience so far. I've learned a lot. It's been one serious roller coaster. I thought some of the markets in the U.S. were challenging, but uh, I can say that the most challenging alcohol industry in the entire world is, is India. Is it the gospel? What is it? I think it's everything. I think there's a lot of exciting things. Uh, that make it challenging and uh, also very opportunistic, uh, such as the consumer. But I think it's challenging because of, uh, of course, of the regulations and uh, maybe the lack of knowledge when it comes to alcohol, not necessarily with the consumer, but when it comes to, I guess, the powers that be. Um, You know, sometimes I tell my friends back home, the things that we deal with, you know, every week is a very different week. Uh, you're You're not sure who has woken up on what side of the bed and what regulation is being passed and uh, they don't believe me how challenging it can be but overall it's been a great journey with Bira. Uh, I look forward to talking about a lot of the fun campaigns that we've launched, a lot of the great learnings we've had and uh, and telling you how all of that really makes sense uh, when it comes to the direction the consumers headed in in the context of a developed market like the U.S. So I think uh, what would be great to do is maybe start off with your time in the U.S. while representing Bira, right? Um, what was the thought behind taking a brand like Vira to the U.S.? Um, also, uh, uh, in your opinion, what's the difference in between the two markets, right? Um, especially when it comes to uh, marketing or communication around beer. Uh, over here, you know, a lot of those larger campaigns uh, we haven't seen as such. Uh, you know, you guys have done more. You guys have done other kind of work, whether it's associating Vira with spicy food, you know, or your uh, April Fool Fest, etc. 
So could you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what was the thought behind taking Veera to the US? Uh, you mentioned India, Indians in the US is one reason. Uh, and also, what was it like launching an Indian company, uh, you know, in the US? Sure. So the idea to expand uh, Veera 91 into the US was because it uh, ties back to the vision. Uh, we always wanted to be a global brand. Uh, and of course, we never started that way, right? When we launched in 2015, we had very humble expectations. Our founder, Uncle Jane, launched in Hoskos Village with a very limited number of bars. He actually started off as an importer. And, uh, you know, he jokes around and says that that time in his life was probably the most expensive uh, focus group because a lot of the brands he was importing didn't work just because uh, they were, you know, uh, Belgian brands or, you know, brands that had very difficult names to pronounce and so on. So it, and, and of course, they were expensive. So they didn't really resonate well with the consumer in India. But what really worked for the company was when he started importing, uh, actually producing Beer 91 White and launched it on draft. So at that time, you know, we had very humble uh, expectations. And, uh, and sure enough, the consumers really enjoyed uh, consuming beer in a very different way, right? On draft and uh, the wheat beer went over really well. So from there, the vision then started developing that this was something that would, you know, uh, not only do well in India, but would do well with Indians all over the world. So that gave birth to our vision of being a beer of choice of this generation of Indians worldwide. Uh, and, and it's important to kind of understand what's happening in the context of beer. There's a generational shift that's happening, which happens with all of the younger consumers, uh, with any uh, product for that matter. Uh, but specifically in beer, in the U.S., we've seen the shift happen from uh, a brand like Budweiser, right, the American beer, or in India specifically, a brand like Kingfisher, to a lot of these other homegrown brands. And what's interesting is that homegrown has always been a thing in India, but homegrown only recently has become cool. Uh, yeah. Whereas in the U.S., homegrown has always been around as well, but only recently has homegrown meant having a personal connection to a brand. So there's a, a hyper-local trend that has happened. So when you look at the landscape of uh, consumers in India, uh, there are significant amount of Indians there, especially where we're distributed right now, which is the Northeast, uh, New York, New Jersey, Boston, Philly, and so on. So we knew that we can make a connection with the Indian consumers in the U.S. And uh, I mean, I've spent, as you mentioned, about 15 years in the industry and I've always been very connected to the Indian consumer uh, because of my own friend circle, but I've traveled to India uh, quite often. So when Angar decided to launch the company in India and I heard of his vision, his global vision, I was absolutely sold. You know, he's such a humble person when you meet him, but the words that come out of his mouth are absolutely crazy. I signed up for the challenge and, uh, and we knew that we needed to create that two-way dialogue with the consumers in India and in the U.S. Yeah. for us to really achieve our vision. Yeah. Uh, and when you think of, of your difference in marketing, right, obviously the context is different because when you guys were launching in Delhi, um, and I remember because I, I, I think I, I, I would like to believe I was one of the first few people to get a case of, uh, to get a case of Vira, thanks to Dave Kabir. Uh, but uh, when you think of, you know, of, of what you deployed in the US uh, to launch Vira there, could you maybe talk a little bit about channels, about, you know, communication, about the kind of marketing that you saw work? Because obviously, unlike India, the U.S. still has, uh, you know, your options of running outdoor billboards, television ads, etc. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about that? So um, the vision for us uh, actually came a little later after we launched in the U.S., and, uh, and it's an important sort of difference because we learned a lot from the U.S. market. When we first launched 
in the U.S., it was very natural for us to pursue the wider audience, right, of craft beer consumers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we participated in almost everything when it came to craft beer. If it was a good beer opportunity, we were there. From craft beer festivals to some of your high-volume accounts in the on-premise college bars mm -hmm. to uh, some of the you know top retail outlets and uh, top distributors. Mm -hmm. And um, after a year, when we really did a, a deep dive of where we were picking up traction, I mean, it's obvious uh, in hindsight, but we actually were doing really well where there were pockets of Indians. Mm -hmm. So the vision for us really became sharp after operating in the U.S. for about a year and really trying a lot of different things that it is very important for us to become a brand for someone, mm -hmm. in this case, the Indian uh, consumer uh, abroad, before we're a brand for everyone. So that gave us a very sharp focus, uh, what we call the bullseye when it comes to our target consumer. Mm -hmm. and, and then from there... We started developing all of our marketing focused specifically against that consumer and some of the programs we can discuss, but it gave us a lot of clarity uh, when it comes to marketing globally. Um, and when you think of your user, because as you mentioned, you guys are in 10 different countries, right? Do you see a difference in your user uh, in terms of everything, in terms of, you know, your psychographic metrics or even their age? Um, what's interesting about Vida in India is at least I remember when you started, you tapped into that slightly older user, right? Um, uh, so could you spend a little bit of time talking about how, you know, you may start with one targeted decimal market and that may be your bullseye in month one to six, but how do you transition into larger sort of, you know, cohorts of consumers? Because uh, as a company that's been invested in, you have to show growth, right? You have to show, uh, you have to show scale. So any difference in, in audiences across the world uh, and, how, and how have you managed to scale your audience up? Sure. So you're, you're right. When we first launched, uh, we launched with two brands, uh, our Beer 91 White and our Lager at the time. And uh, we were only operating in the premium segment. In India, the premium segment is about 15% of the total market share. 85% of the market share still will be your high ABV beers, right? And um, in the premium segment, of course, you're paying more. Naturally, the consumer uh, was one who had a little bit more of a disposable income, uh, which tended to be uh, older. So um, we deliberately wanted to uh, establish the brand as a premium brand, and we started expanding within the premium segment before recently now we've launched Boom. So when you look at how the consumer has changed in India, and when you compare it to how the consumers are, let's say, again, in developed markets like the U.S. or U.K., uh, and uh, we're uh, you know, getting ready to launch in Australia as well, uh, you have to, I guess, take a look at the consumer journey that's happening. In those developed markets, consumers are a lot further down, I guess, the exploratory funnel when it comes to beer, and uh, they are um, uh, more familiar with different styles of beer. They are more familiar with um, you know, uh, craft beer and also are more accustomed to paying a little bit more. So the consumer here in India, uh, even though our premium consumer was, was skewing a little bit older, uh, internationally, we, we did have a uh, uh, sort of a, a consumer segment that was probably around 21 through 24, 25 years old. And that's because of a lot of the marketing resonated well with that consumer. Uh, and it was still relatively affordable for them in those markets. So, you know, um, what's also interesting is that uh, India is leapfrogging across the board in everything, right? When it comes to technology, when it comes to social media usage and so on. But even when it comes to beer, they're leapfrogging very quickly because the time that it takes for a trend now 
whether it's any trend, but specifically within beer, to uh, become relevant in India has become very short. You know, maybe in the past it's been three or four years, but now it can happen very rapidly. So that is also helping the consumer leapfrog when it comes to their cons- uh, their choices in beer as well. So we've also over the past year have expanded our portfolio to keep up with that consumer demand. And uh, we look at um, how quickly beer is growing. The, con- uh, the consumer base of beer is growing. It's actually growing a lot faster than spirits. And uh, a subset of that is the female consumer as well. They're adopting beer two times faster than their, uh, than their male counterparts. So all of that is really accelerating the uh, innovation within the country. Uh, and uh, we've also have adapted to that demand uh, through expanding our portfolio as well. Got it. Um, and I think, you know, because there are a lot of young entrepreneurs who are on this call, um, everyone likes using the word innovation, but it's such a, it's tough to crack, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's easy to sort of look at more superfluous ways of examining audiences, but, uh, but I'm assuming, you know, for a company like yours, where just the cost of production is so much, uh, you can't, uh, uh, anything from taking a product to market, to getting feedback, to then producing at scale, those are longer, those are longer sort of cycles, right? What's the framework through which you you innovate? Um, what are the first principles that you lean on when you think of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, everything from expansion of market share to you know what what you guys did in my opinion very smartly, which was tapping into a female beer drinker, which no one sure. has done up up until then. Right. The way I describe marketing for my team and for anyone for that matter is that marketing is one simple statement: How do you get more consumers to use more of your products more often? Right. And when you think about it in that context, it breaks down into three categories, the more consumer part, right, the awareness, uh, the um, more of your products, trial and consideration more often, right, more occasions. And um, beer uh, for us is relatively affordable, right? Even the most expensive beer uh, is affordable when you compare it to spirits or any other alcoholic beverage. So that will lend itself uh, to a lot of exploration that happens with our industry. So that is what I refer to when it comes to innovation within our segment, but innovation really can mean many different things for, I guess, different sectors. What's important about innovation is that um, I look at any business as, um, I guess, two platforms. One is your operating system and one is your launch pad, right? And for us uh, or for any business, you should never really screw with your, uh, for your, uh, your, your operating system, but you can then try different things, whether it's maybe launching new products or trying different ways of reaching your consumer, or maybe even um, innovating within existing services and and products. But you have to constantly be trying different things to then see if it's something that can move into your operating system. So what's important about innovation is, you know, don't uh, innovate where you're risking your operating platform, but do keep trying different things. For us, the way we're innovating is through our limited release tap room that we recently launched in Bangalore. And we launched five new beers. And the idea behind those five new beers was to really just try different flavors. So we launched a West Coast IPA, a coconut brown ale. Uh, we launched a pomegranate champagne beer, uh, a mango lussie beer, and um, I'm forgetting one more. So anyways, the idea there is that we are trying these five different beers and they come from our microbrewery. So it's a very small batch production and we only, uh, serve them at our tap room. So it's a very controlled environment. It's very cost effective, but it's also uh, a system where we're testing out different flavors. What's really fun is that 
the consumers at the tap room will then decide on what beer they like the most. And that's when we would consider moving into uh, one of our, uh, you know, uh, regular beers. And just to kind of recap, innovation is great, but it is a double-edged sword. Don't waste too much of your time and energy and money innovating, but leave a little room for that constant experimentation. And you mentioned make play. That's where make play comes in for us. Is we're always making and playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for us, playing is, uh, you know, playing with flavorful uh, beers. Yeah. Uh, so actually, if we could take tap room as a curious segue into, um, uh, you know, the channels that 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 uh, that Vira has been able to tap into. So uh, it's super interesting that you guys have, you know, launched a slightly more permanent space uh, for people to come and try more innovative iterations of Vira. Uh, you guys obviously have this huge offline event um, uh, called April Fool Fest. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've taken part in a lot of festivals internationally and uh, and in India as well. Um, could you, uh, you know, help help all of us over here? You know, and, and again, going back to who the uh, target audience is on this group, they're all young entrepreneurs, right? They're all young marketers. Uh, and you know how it is. You're always on a budget constraint. Uh, and you're always trying to, you know, figure out more Jugadu ways of customer acquisition. So uh, could, you, could you talk to us about, you know, a couple of the more mainstream channels that have worked very well for you? Uh, and also channels that aren't the most obvious, but have been truly remarkable in terms of, um, uh, you know, delivering on ROI. I think when it comes to um, efficient marketing, and especially if you're on a budget, the key is a couple of things. One, you really have to know your consumer. So the example I gave in the U.S. was a big learning experience. And once we figured out who our consumer is, or at least validated that, we were able to spend a lot more efficiently. And then from there, really understanding where your consumer resides and how to get to them in the most relevant manner. So for us, that learning in the U.S. then really sharpened the marketing tactics for us globally and and even in India. So we went from our marketing pillar of spice to a marketing pillar of curry, right? We launched a campaign called International Curry Week, which was one of my favorite campaigns that we've launched. But uh, it was also one of the most exciting in my opinion because it catered specifically to the Indian consumer and it resonated really well. It's similar to Restaurant Week. So it's a a two-week long uh, campaign where we focus on curry and beer. And we uh, we pair different curries, uh, different curries within India, different curries across the world with different beers in our portfolio. So when we first launched this in 2018 in the US, we had over 60 restaurants participating uh, across Singapore, New Delhi, and New York City. And we had Japanese curries, uh, we had Malaysian curries, Thai curries, Indian curries, and so on. And we filmed some great content of chefs pairing the, their dishes with our beers. Uh, and then as a consumer offer, you were given a fixed menu at these restaurants with one curry dish, one appetizer, and, uh, and uh, one dessert, along with the Beer 91. Uh, and that was the first time where a lot of the other Indian brands within the U.S. started reaching out to me, whether it was the DJs or artists or fashion designers and so on, because it was something that we did, which resonated really well with the Indian community and they wanted to be a part of it. it. Uh, So that was ICW, and this year will be our third uh, International Curry Week, which takes place in October. So going uh, going back to how to sort of spend efficiently. So yeah, really understanding your consumer and, and getting to them in very creative ways. So I think COVID is a really good example right now because a lot of companies have scaled back on media. And even for us, we've scaled back on spending right now because we don't know what the future holds. We're all preserving cash. And for us, you know, focusing on supply chain when business starts is going to be 
uh, very important, right? You know, when you when you understand your consumer, you can do things in a very cost-effective manner. So I'll give you some examples of how we're engaging with the consumer right now. We are doing a lot of live uh, hosting with our brewer, Tom, uh, Thomas Hartman. He's, uh, he's held about two live sessions already teaching people about beer. So it's giving us an opportunity right now to do something that we've always wanted to do, which is bring our brewer at the forefront and talk about beer and tapping into the beer community. Uh, we've launched uh, a um, campaign where customers are coloring different uh, creative for beer 91 and so on. So the point I'm making here is that once you understand your consumer, there are many different ways you can reach your consumer, even when it comes to awareness, consideration, and, uh, and trial. And I think what's most important is that you should always focus on getting the point of purchase correct, uh, especially now. So the way we're shifting our marketing post-COVID is the first priority for us will be, of course, getting inventory into these retail shops. And then second priority is how do you differentiate yourself on the shelf, mm. right? And then the second would be how do you then uh, reach your consumers online? It all starts with getting to know your consumer really well. And now's the perfect time to dig into all of that right? Try different things and uh, speak to your consumers and learn about the platforms that will help you get to your consumer once the uh, uh, ban and uh, business resumes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's fascinating you say that because that's literally all we've been doing at LTD. It's just been housekeeping. Uh, so every single team in our organization has just been making calls to our merchants, our users and everything across the board. So you're totally right. Great time to just take our time and understand your user better because I think we forget who they are, right? Um, mm-hmm. I actually want to you know, use that as um, a, 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 a big question that I had was with a category like alcohol, what makes it also interesting is there's no concept of performance marketing. So you can't put money into Instagram or Facebook or Google and expect your beer sales to grow overnight, right? Um, so a lot, of the, the, a lot of the heavy lifting that's done is on the brand side. Um, for for young marketers, how do you how do you sort of how how do you correlate the two? So, what are the metrics that you measure uh, as someone leading marketing for Bira, um, uh, especially when chances are a chunk of your marketing money is either going into you know improving your distribution or um, in in creating content, in creating experiences uh, that generate a buzz around the brand, right? So, what are your success metrics? And also, how do you how do you create a correlation in between the amount of money you're spending on brand and the ROI that you're seeing on the beer getting picked up from you know shelves of takers uh, and and your retailer retail partners, etc. Sure. So um, I think success for us uh, is measured uh, at the end of the day. We sell beer, so uh, beer sales are, will always be the number one measure of success. Uh, beyond that, when it comes to marketing for each one of our products we've identified the goals when it comes to the association. So each, each of our products have uh, a uh, different sort of positioning, right? So we have Beer 91 Light, which is a uh, beer that uh, is a low calorie product. It's actually lower than 90 calories, making it one of the lowest calorie beers in the world. Uh, and then we have our limited release portfolio. Then we have our um, Beer 91 White, which is a low bitterness uh, beer. So I think it's important, especially when you have multiple brands in your portfolio to identify what are the things, the messages uh, or the associations that you want the consumer to have with each of those products. Right. And I'll just use one as an example. I think the sharpest example would be uh, Bureau 91 light for us. So for us, the, the association is uh, making sure that it's positioned as a low calorie product. Right. And 
from there, um, we uh, really start digging deep into one, understanding the consumer, but then understanding where channels do we need to focus on. Uh, and then from those channels, then determining what are the success metrics for us, right? And success in marketing is measured as what is your um, uh, sort of consumer funnel, right? When it comes to awareness, when it comes to, uh, you know, all the way up to most often used brand, right? Uh, so, of course, we have all of those uh, health metrics uh, that we measure. But if you're a young brand and um, or if you're a, a young company, you don't have access to all of those metrics. I think the best way to uh, measure success is, is online, you know, and uh, to be able to um, test out uh, whether it's, again, understanding uh, where your consumer lives online and how that translates to offline and, and measuring against what you've identified are the key messages for that particular product. Uh, so I think, um, you know, it, it varies industry to industry, but for us specifically is making sure that the two or three messages and, and usually for every product we have one single-minded message mm -hmm. is resonating with the consumer. Hmm, got it. And how do you measure that? Uh, how, how do you measure it resonating? Um, I, I guess that's, that's what my question was, right? Because uh, you can put a lot of money in the campaigns, uh, but how do you know if, if a consumer is thinking of you the way you want them to think of you? Right. So um, I think there are very cost effective ways. Um, again, I'm thinking in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, sort of scrappy ways of doing it. Uh, there are online surveys that you can you can deploy. Uh, I, I remember when I was working for uh, a couple of investors where we had very scrappy budgets, we launched a Google survey uh, and you can get very specific on, on Google, uh, targeting a very specific uh, demographic and you know age group or uh, consumer insights. I think that's one way. And I think Facebook also is another great way uh, you can uh, see if your messaging is resonating with the consumer. Uh, I think it's obviously one of the most dynamic when it comes to digital platforms, mm -hmm. uh, but you can take all of those qualitative measures. And of course, your quantitative measures would be uh, your, you know, your sales numbers and so on. Got it. So if we could switch gears and, you know, maybe just jump out of beta for a, uh, for a minute. Um, what are the marketing trends in, in Alcobev specifically, uh, you know, or in the booze business uh, that excite you? Uh, you know, what do you, what are the, what are the super interesting campaigns that you've seen play out? Um, I personally love what, you know, Ryan Reynolds has done with aviation where he just finds a way to be a part of every pop culture conversation, right? So, uh, could you maybe talk a little bit, a little bit about uh, you know trends, things that you are seeing brands try, which are just really interesting. Sure. So I think uh, when it comes to trends in the alcohol industry, there are three trends right now that we're following very closely. One, and it starts off with a very savvy consumer, right? And um, uh, the the first trend is uh, the place of consumption for us is changing very rapidly, and um, uh, we now see consumers are. Uh, drinking more at home. And that has, uh, of course, uh, something to do with all the societal, maybe taboos easing up. And I really think COVID is going to accelerate that trend for us. Social distancing will not go away when the ban is lifted. And I think consumers will continue to want to maybe keep a little bit of a distance from strangers and so on. And uh, I also think um, they'll probably end up hanging out more with their uh, trusted groups of, uh, of friends. Uh, but we've also seen that trend happen in the U.S. for the past two decades where the newer consumers today would, you know, uh, maybe choose not to spend so much money going out 
but have that same, uh, same experience at home. So we call, you know, entertainment at home. I think that's going to, going to be the new drinking occasion. So that is a trend, um, maybe out of the three right now that we're really following. And the other two, uh, two trends would be, as I mentioned, the female consumer, uh, and then of course, uh, innovation, uh, some of the exciting, um, campaigns that we've launched, uh, so I'll give you two examples. So one example would be when I worked for Absolute, uh, and this was about 10 years ago, or maybe like, yeah, so about 10 years ago, we saw this trend happening and we launched a uh, campaign where we focused on that entertainment happening in the living room. And it was a very simple campaign. We launched a co-pack where with a bottle of Absolute, you received a recipe to make a cocktail and you also received a pitcher. So it was something that was very simple but it enabled this trend that was already happening of consumers wanting to hang out with their friends at home yeah. and uh, uh, make cocktails. Um, and I think that's also something that we'll start to see right now because again, with COVID happening, I think everyone has become a uh, expert chef uh, to some extent and uh, people are learning how to make cocktails and so on. So uh, that along with maybe some reluctancy to hang out in bars, maybe will accelerate that trend in my opinion of uh, people then choosing to hang out at home and then maybe serving a recipe that they perfected over the past uh, six weeks. Mm. Uh, so that absolute campaign was really interesting. And, and these are the sort of insights that we're using to now maybe even shift our marketing to focus more on entertaining uh, in the living room as opposed to the bars or festivals and, uh, and different events. Super interesting. And the second one that you mentioned was women. Um, so it seems kind of counterintuitive for beer brands to tap into women, right? Because traditionally, uh, that's never really been the that, that's never really been the conversation. Uh, so, right. what brought you guys to look at uh, women as a customer base, uh, you know, much more seriously than perhaps a bunch of the other beer brands? So, uh, the female consumer, the rise of the female consumer, um, has been taking place globally for for many many years. Uh, but specifically in India, when you look at the female consumer. Uh, I think there are a couple things that are driving the growth of the female beer consumer. One is the legal drinking age uh, in India uh, is uh, uh, quickly adding more beer consumers to the overall segment, right? So right now we estimate that out of the 1.4 billion um, consumers in India, about 30% of them drink beer. So that's about 250 million. And uh, when it comes to the beer consumer, female beer consumer, that's approximately about 60 million. So that we're expecting the next 10 years to double to about 100 and say 20, 120 million, uh, 20 million female beer consumers. So uh, I think it's a really interesting trend to follow. And uh, I think our products have done well with the female beer consumer, because when you look at the, the marketing funnel, our um, uh, sort of uh, conversion rate with the female consumer, especially when it comes to beer 91 white and surprisingly beer 91 strong is uh, one of the strongest out of all of the uh, competition. So for us, um, the female con consumer, we're placing a really big bet on. And uh, uh, it's really exciting to see how, um, you know, this growth is not just coming in from tier one markets. It's actually coming in from tier two, tier three markets. Uh, and that of course, uh, is uh, aligned with all of the uh, growth that we're seeing when it comes to data usage, when it comes to TikTok and Facebook, yeah. most of that growth is coming from those markets as well. Uh, so as a, you know, for a marketer, that's really exciting to see where 90% of your industry sits in tier two, tier three. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are on TikTok. They're the ones that are using Facebook. And also that's where a lot of the female uh, growth is happening as well. 
Yeah, no, that that's fascinating because uh, you know, like you said, um, uh, I think the rise of the female consumer is. I mean, as a female myself, it's it's amazing to see. And what's also interesting is it's in it's happening in non-obvious categories. Uh, it's happening in categories uh, like Al, uh, like Alcobev. Uh, it's even happening in the in the tech space uh, because obviously, you know, courtesy my job, I end up uh, watching that very closely. Uh, and we see it with products like Nisho and the likes, right? Uh, everyone is just tapping into this underserved consumer. Uh, much more. Uh, what was the third trend uh, that you had mentioned? So, uh, place of consumption was one. Women was the, the third one. Was uh, the third one was it was innovation, okay. innovation within, within specifically within the beer industry. Got it. Understood. Um, so, again, going back to the concept of of innovation, right? Uh, and and the place um, of consumption changing. I actually have a quick question that I'm going to call out to um, uh, right now. Uh, so someone asked, uh, 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 coffee brands, for instance, end up usually launching cafes, right? Uh, because you want the experience to remain intact. Obviously, coffee, unlike beer, is a slightly more complicated category because so much comes down to how you brew the coffee uh, and how you serve it and make it to people. Uh, how come you guys didn't take the route of, you know, going down the, the offline approach, um, uh, you know, for customer acquisition to begin with, uh, you know, and uh, and controlling the environment within which Bira uh, served? Sure. So the answer is uh, we did actually. We when we first launched, we launched with draft, and this was a beer ninety one was a draft only product, mm. and we launched in Hoskos Village where you know the draft system in India is uh, you know just recently had you know has developed, uh, and we actually have the largest draft system in the entire country. So when we launched, we actually had to install draft units in the bars that we wanted to serve our beer in. Mm. Uh, so that gave consumers a very different experience. So that was our first, I would say, way of controlling the uh, consumer experience around our product. And more recently, as I mentioned, with the limited release tap room, uh, that is um, uh, a way where we can now control every aspect of the experience, not only the, uh, the products that are being served, uh, the way it's being served, so the glassware, the conversation you're having with the staff around the beers, but also all the programming and all of the different uh, Fun activations that happened within the uh, uh, within the bar as well too. Got it. So yeah, it's taken us five years, but uh, mm. it was important for us to really uh, scale the brand, mm. uh, focus on draft mm. as the experience. And now, more recently, uh, we're you know feeling ready that we can rapidly innovate. And uh, through that innovation, it's important for us to then control every aspect of the experience. Is your aim with that to tap into a more premium user? Because uh, obviously, you know, you've got boom at one end of, of the spectrum, right? And now you've got tap room with Graphware at the other end of the spectrum. And, and, and the question related to that, how do you reconcile the two? Because, you know, everything from your channel mix to your messaging, I'm assuming probably varies from customer to customer. Uh, so when you think of, you know, your audience base, when you think of, of channels that you're tapping into, um, is is it is taproom predominantly for your slightly more elevated, educated, you know, with it user? Uh, and how do you corroborate the two? Because uh, you're one brand. Sure. So uh, to answer the the first question, is taproom for the elevated consumer? Um, uh, not really. I, I think the taproom for us, and and of course it's in Bangalore. So Bangalore as a beer market is a little uh, or a lot more advanced than uh, other markets as well. I think it has been for many years. Uh, and that has to do with the uh, student population, the amazing weather. It's always beer drinking weather over there. Um, so I think naturally we are getting a elevated beer consumer, but it's not necessarily designed 
for that. I think it's also because we do have our entire portfolio in the limit uh, in the tap room, uh, but it's really um, made for the curious consumer. And, and uh, uh, you can go there and you can drink your beer 91 strong, or uh, you can drink um, the blonde lager or blonde summer lager, mm. or you can try something really interesting such as mango lassi beer. So it's a place where if you enjoy beer and you're curious, you can come and have a flight of beer, starting with maybe something that you're familiar with, all the way up to something really interesting, from classic styles to experimental styles, as we like to say. Um, so that's that's your uh, your first question. Uh, yeah. What was your second question? Remind second me. Second question was uh, and the boom customer, right? Because the yes. boom customer chances are is in like a tier three, tier four city. Um, yes. uh, what are you doing to make that customer happy? So yes, so Boom, we launched uh, about uh, a little over a year ago now. And um, uh, I would say it's, it was one of the most successful launches, not only for us, but I'm pretty sure in the industry because we hit a million cases uh, in 10 months. Uh, and now we're at roughly 2 million cases, 80% of which are coming in from tier two, tier three markets. So going back to our vision of you know becoming a uh, beer choice of this generation of Indians, it was important for us to address the 85% of the market in India, right? We couldn't achieve our vision by only operating the 15%. So we launched a boom and uh, it's been successful, not only in the sales, but even in the qualitative results that we've received uh, and the feedback because boom uh, starts off with the packaging. It's resonated really well. Consumers have said it's a funky, cool, edgy packaging all the way into the product. And what's also interesting is that uh, I think up until Boom launched, maybe the perception of strong beers was to have a harsh taste, to have an after smell and so on. And it's actually the opposite with Boom. I think Boom is also, you know, enjoying the benefits of the uh, uh, preceding brands uh, of white and uh, of strong and so on. Uh, so it's also has a premium platform, but it's also very different than any other strong beer in the marketplace where it's a lot smoother in taste. Uh, and the packaging is very different. And of course, the price point is at that sweet price point of 100 rupees. So um, it made sense for us to launch Boom and do it very differently to be able to cater to that 85% of the consumers in India. And when you think of this consumer, right, uh, what do you think makes them buy into your beer? Uh, apart from obviously the, the and, and the, the larger question I was, I was going to get to, I think the thing that I love about Vira is your product may change uh, but your packaging is always delightful, right? Which just makes it appealing uh, and appeasing to, you know, uh, a, a young user. Um, so with you guys, though, your, your product may be inconsistent in the sense, you know, you're, you're launching different products for different types of folks. Uh, but what do you think makes Vira as a brand consistent? What are those brand tenets that, that you know, uh, you think Vira's cracked, uh, which a bunch of us can learn from? Sure. So... Uh, what, what makes Bira consistent is uh, three different areas. One is the actual product itself. So not counting limited release where we're experimenting quite a bit. All of our other products are very sessionable, as we like to say. They're easy drinking products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that was very important for us because we kept the Indian consumer in mind when it comes to beer and the younger beer consumer, especially females, right? And uh, that really shows with our white beer, which is our flagship. It's a low bitterness wheat beer, which has done well 
uh, amongst the female consumer and amongst consumers overall. So that was one thing that we had to keep constant is the way we approach the flavor of our beers and the style of our beers. Uh, number two is the uh, packaging, as you mentioned earlier. We wanted to create a packaging that was fun and playful, where colors played a very important role in our identity. And um, also something that really rejected uh, the uh, sort of templates that maybe the beers in India or really anywhere in the world have followed, right? The sort of the idea of having these uh, really uh, maybe uh, sort of European cues and the name European cues and the style of the label to communicate premiumness. Uh, and then also, of course, the name itself was very important in making that differentiation, right? I think the shortcut that you take sometimes or maybe brands have taken in the past is uh, 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 having a very maybe complicated name uh, or something that, you know, shows that there's a sophistication in your product. For us, we want to keep it very easy to say beer at 91 also intuitively means beer uh, in, um, in many different languages. So beer actually is a play on the word uh, vire, which means big brother, right? And then 91 will always connect us back to India as the country code. So I think between the way we've approached brewing our products, uh, the identity, or the uh, packaging and, uh, and the identity, uh, and then also um, in all of our marketing, uh, we, and then going back to this concept of making and playing, uh, we've uh, also making play, make play is actually the overarching sort of communication strategy for us. So everything we do, we wanted to make sure ties back up to that ethos for us of being fun, being playful and creative and always experimenting and pushing the envelope. Got it. So we've got just about a couple of minutes left. I'm just going to throw a, a couple of quick questions that have come my way. So uh, one, Daksh is asking, uh, since social distancing is going to continue even after the lockdown is lifted, uh, do you think your mediums of advertising will change? Uh, so, you know, uh, perhaps your events or slightly more, you know, offline intensive ways of capturing users, do you think those budgets will be allocated elsewhere? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to a couple of things that I've mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, as a, um, uh, as not only as for us, I think for any brand right now, you have to really focus on the point of purchase. So the below the line becomes really important. There will be a period of uh, uh, sort of, uh, 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 sort of this initial consumption that will happen and it will be a dogfight when it comes to the retail shop. So it's important that you're able to differentiate yourself on the shelf. Uh, and then also digital, we've spent so much time already at home, we've become really accustomed to this virtual experience economy, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's uh, amongst friends, learning different recipes, Zoom happy hours, uh, but also a lot of brands now uh, putting on different forms of entertainment, something as simple as quizzes online, mm -hmm. or all the way up to full on concerts, right? So yes, uh, our mediums will shift. It's actually a shift that was already happening, but it'll only accelerate right now. So if we do uh, have any event, um, which we will in the on-premise or uh, maybe different sort of smaller festivals and so on, we have to make sure that now expands into the virtual space because I think, again, consumers will want to spend maybe more time at home than outside. And uh, we need to make sure we're entertaining them with our products in their living rooms as well. Got it. Rini has a question, which is, uh, so if Bira is all about innovating, uh, do, you, do you guys think you'll ever step out of beer uh, as a category? Because uh, you tried that with, with your hot sauces, uh, which I know is for fun and you've also done merchandise. Uh, but do you see your guys, uh, do you see yourselves ever stepping out of beer as a, as a core category? Uh, 
Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, there are a lot of ideas that are circulating for us. And um, when you look at the global trends in alcohol, it might give you a hint at what we're looking at. Uh, but the answer is yes, because uh, there are, there's a, a trend that's really driving that is the, um, the trend to, or I can't even call it a trend, it's actually the consumer becoming a lot more health conscious. Mm. And rather than giving up alcohol, there are alternatives that consumers are now switching to. Okay. You know, whether it's a low calorie product or maybe even outside an adjacent product. So uh, I think in the next maybe six to eight months, you might see something come from the Beer 91 house. Super interesting. Uh, we will keep an eye out for that. Nikki is asking, sales teams need a lot of on-ground marketing support. Uh, how do you think that's going to change now? Every program that we are working on right now keeps the salesperson in mind and uh, is a tactical program something that they can see as a value to uh, take right to the front lines when business opens up. So uh, I think it's important right now to maybe shift a lot of your uh, brand building into tactical block and tackle items. Again, focusing on the point of purchase, focusing on uh, having innovative point of sale and focusing on what is that single-minded message that's going to set you apart. Of course, having all of the other sales uh, uh, tools in place, such as your uh, uh, discounting and so on. Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Like that is, has to be the number one focus for any marketer right now is how do I give my sales guy or sales gal a tool that they can use immediately? Uh, that's a great answer. Uh, last couple of questions. Uh, Ira is asking, uh, 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 do you think Indian consumers abroad feel connected to Bira because of its India grown story? Um, is that the sell there or is it something in the taste or something in the packaging? What is it for you guys? It's definitely the story, and we have a campaign called Imagine in India. Imagine in India for us is the idea of modern India, not the museum version of India that might be the stereotypical version of India. So through that platform, we're able to have a two-way dialogue with the international consumer. And all what we do internationally kind of falls under that umbrella, working with different artists, working with different brands, and uh, anyone that's really promoting this new idea of India. So I think that's resonated really well for us uh, when it comes to the global Indian consumer. And also, um, you know, what's exciting is that five years ago when we launched, you know, I alluded to this idea of homegrown brands. Uh, and um, uh, it's, uh, you know, really exciting to see that over the past couple of years, a lot of these homegrown brands, such as your Greater Than or your Stranger, Stranger and Sons and Swami and Amruth and so on have made homegrown really cool. And I think yeah. that started off with uh, Beer 91 maybe five years ago, or at least we were one of the first ones to turn a homegrown, uh, homegrown brand cool. Mm. Uh, that's always been a thing in India, you know, with your uh, Indian made foreign liquors and so on, but it was never cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's exciting to see all these uh, uh, new uh, people entering the space and being very proud of being Indian, unapologetically Indian, and uh, also not just replicating trends right now, but creating their own trends. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's amazing you say that because, uh, you know, that's what LVD is built on. Uh, one, and, and also we see it happening in every single category. So it's wild. I mean, everything from yogurt, right? Uh, what Epigamia has done to yogurt to what, uh, you know, Nika, etc. And, and Sugar have been able to do in beauty. And obviously you guys have sort of pioneered uh, in the Alcobed space. Uh, it's incredible to see the amount of talent coming out. And like you said, uh, pride, right? Uh, pride in being Indian uh, and pride in building products from here. 
uh, just last question for you. So um, I, I wanted to just get to that last point because um, I think pride uh, is a is a very different feeling when you're an Indian in India and also when you're an Indian outside of India. And I'll use myself as an example because Indians are broad, uh, and I'll make a generalization here because I think it's accurate. Are always looking for ways to connect back to India mm. in some way, shape, or form. Now, some Indians are more Indian than others. Uh, but something as simple as food, right? When you are maybe living abroad and you take a non-Indian friend to a restaurant and they enjoy Indian food, whether it's butter chicken or it's some paneer or something like that, it's a very proud moment for you mm. at that point. Mm. So I think going back to the question uh, uh, that was asked as far as the global Indian consumers and how we were able to connect with them, I think the beer, uh, our brand has been able to give them one additional bridge connecting mm. back home and being probably the homegrown brand. Uh, and I think a lot of other brands will follow suit once they start to expand internationally. I think Amrut Whiskey has done that very yeah. successfully as well. Paul yeah. John Whiskey has done that very successfully as well. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, a couple of other brands that are, that are also expanding. So uh, as a um, uh, Indian from the diaspora community, as uh, we're called, um, it's, really, it's really exciting to see these brands now make it on the international platform. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, last question from all of us here, which is, uh, you know, uh, what are the books that one should read? What are the blogs that one should follow? Uh, who are the people on Twitter who you've had a chance to learn from? For all of us who want to learn more and build better brands, um, what should we be consuming right now? Okay, there's a lot there. Uh, I'll just answer by saying what book you should read right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a, a really good book right now is Good as the New Cool. Okay. And it's from a, a friend of mine uh, over at Pernod Ricard, where well, we worked at Pernod together, and uh, his name is Afdel Aziz. He's Sri Lankan. He's uh, written this book maybe a couple years ago, and I think it's a brilliant book. So that I surely recommend reading. And uh, as far as uh, all the other things, I think uh, anyone that's doing something cool in India, you should probably follow. So from uh, Indian hip hop artists, uh, your Raja Kumaris, your Divines, your Bub Deeps, your Nazis and so on. I think all of them are doing such an amazing job uh, growing the hip hop community and again, putting hip hop on an international platform to all the brands that you've mentioned, uh, that to the brands that are doing great things in the beer market, uh, Goa Brewing Company, Dulali. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there are so many uh, brands that you can follow. This was incredible. I have learned so much. I'm just going to give everyone a quick recap of my biggest takeaways. I think one was uh, differentiate in between your operating system and your launch pad and your operating system should be your constant, but your launch pad should be your way to just innovate and, and take new products out to consumers. Uh, I frankly, I also thought your Google survey uh, point was super interesting. Uh, very underutilized tool. Uh, I don't think enough of us uh, make, enough, make enough of an effort to generally ask consumers in terms of brand perception uh, and brand resonance. That was super duper interesting. Uh, your answer to three trends was absolutely fascinating. I think a lot of us forget that, uh, uh, you know, with consumers becoming more mobile uh, uh, and with, you know, the idea of home entertainment changing thanks to OTT platforms and the likes, uh, the place of consumption is changing and it's important to build that use case into how you uh, think about marketing. Uh, I am stoked about women being taken more seriously as, as consumers. Uh, and it's great to see Vera sort of, you know, lead the charge on that here. And for someone who just asked me this, uh, right now, the name of the book is Good is a New Cool. Uh, so, you know, head over to Amazon or your local bookstore. I prefer the local bookstore. 
uh, and check out uh, Good is a New Cool. Thank you so much, Deepak. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank uh, you, you want to leave all of us with before you say bye-bye and go on to finish your beer? <laughs> no, I, I thank you for, for your time and uh, surely follow us if you're not following us right now because uh, uh, there are a lot of fun things in store. Unfortunately, this uh, all has kind of come to a screeching halt for, for all of us and I really hope that all of you guys are keeping safe, your families are safe and uh, I look forward to all of this being behind us so we can have a beer together. Mm-hmm.